Hello and welcome back to another episode of Secrets Behind the Music Business. I'm your host, Barry Victor, and today we have with us a very special guest who is an author, musician, and music business consultant, Mr. Bobby Borg. How you doing today, Bobby? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, man. I appreciate you being here and joining us on the show. Uh, we're looking forward to getting your perspective and experience on the new music industry. But before we do that, I always like to let the guests give their own short introduction about who they are and how they got involved in the music business. So can you share that with us? Absolutely. Um, I'm a musician first and foremost. I started at a very, very young age playing drums. Um, I was uh, sort of born into a creative uh, family. My father was a designer, so he um, he nurtured my sort of creative passions and uh, started taking lessons at a very young age and living in the proximity of New York. I was able to study with some really great players um, they encouraged me to go to Berklee College of Music um, in Boston, where I earned a, a degree in um, professional music. And then I was a professional sort of session player around Boston. I moved to New York and got signed with some very big record labels and was in bands that toured around the world and made records and was on MTV and all that good stuff. Um, while I was in, um, you know, working as an artist in the music business, I realized one very important thing, that music is an art, but making money from it is a very serious business and living in it and lasting in it is a very serious business. And there's a lot of information out there that you need to know. And a lot of it at the time was written by attorneys for attorneys. So I really wanted to kind of take information and simplify it for musicians. And this was, um, you know, all the way back in uh, essentially 1998. And there was not even a, a business department at Berkeley yet. And there was very few music business departments in schools and very few business books out. So um, I created a book called The Musician's Handbook, and it was released in 2003 on Billboard. And uh, pretty much the idea was it's by a musician for musicians. And since then, um, I've been teaching at UCLA. I've been teaching at Musicians Institute. I've been speaking at conferences all over the United States, and the books are used in schools all over the United States as well. You know, um, I, I love just imparting information uh, to musicians so that they don't have to go through, you know, the, the trials and tribulations and figure things out the hard way. Makes sense. So are you passionate about helping musicians because uh, you saw that there was a lack of information or did you have a, a bad experience when you were on that major label side? Well, not necessarily a bad experience. You know, um, I mean, I'm always uh, the kind of guy that likes to, uh, you know, to, to learn from every experience. So I don't really think of any experience as a bad experience, you know, because it's an opportunity to learn. Um, but uh, but, you know, definitely there was a need in the marketplace. There was not really much information out there you know, written by musicians for musicians. And, um, you know, and I, was, I, I became very, very passionate about it simply because, you know, as a musician, you can work really, 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 really hard to get good on your instrument, good at, good, good at your songwriting. But if you want to play the game and you want to be in the industry, there's only a certain amount of control that you have, you know, before somebody else, you know, comes in the way, you know, um, a music supervisor, a music publisher, a song plugger, a record label, a distributor, you know, even in today in the DIY, you know, sort of world that we live, you know, there's, there's only so far that you can get on your own before you're going to start outsourcing to distributors or managers or attorneys or agents. And I just got tired of somebody else always being in the way. So <laughs> I kind of wanted to step up and and be on that other side and and uh and and pretty much you know 
um, figure it all out and and help sort of musicians, you know, kind of, you know, understand that it's the music business. You know, you can't have just music and you can't have just business. Yeah, that's why it's called the music business. You have to kind of understand both sides. Right. Now, you got signed at a time where the record business was at its peak around 98, 99, when records were just selling. Now, do you think there's more opportunity for independent musicians to have a full-time career in today's age prior to the digital age? And, like, why or why not? That's a very good question. Um, just to be – just to kind of uh, – I appreciate you um, – uh, you know, I appreciate this question very much, but if you don't mind, I'm just going to slightly correct you. And that actually my first record deal was was back in 1990. Um, so, you know, so, yes, it was definitely in the peak of sort of when CDs were selling and people were buying music. I mean, people used to wait in lines around corners, you know, to, to buy the new CDs that were coming out. Um, so things have changed quite a lot lately. You know, people aren't really buying music as much anymore. Um, and hopefully they're going to start paying for subscriptions and start and, and, and start streaming music a lot more than they have in the, in the recent years. But um, I think there's a lot of opportunity today for people just as much as there was in the past, except the problem now is that there's more tools for artists today, but now there's more competition. I mean, literally everyone and their mom is a DJ. You know what I mean? Everyone and their mom is a rapper. You know, everyone and their mom is going to be a pop star, you know? So, um, it's just flooded. It's overcrowded. It's really hard to kind of stand out and get noticed. I mean, back then it was hard, but now it's just, it's just seems ridiculous. I mean, there's uh, 30 hours of content uploaded on YouTube every, every minute, I think some crazy stat like that, you know, so you really have to be doing something unique. Um, and, uh, you know, in order to stand out these days. In regards to people reaching out to you, uh for consulting services, what seems to be the question that you get most? Is it about how to get more exposure or how to generate more income? Oh, that's a great question. It really actually runs the gamut. I mean, there could be, there could be numerous questions. I mean, let me just go through a couple of my recent clients. Um, you know, th there might be somebody that is asking me for career direction advice. Like for example, um, you know, there's um, a song plugger that's interested in signing me to an agreement here's the agreement. Can you look it over and tell me whether or not this sounds fair? You know, that kind of thing. Um, there's a manager that wants to sign a management agreement with us. Here's what he's promising us. Here's the contract. You know, does this sound fair? Um, you know, uh, there is uh, an opportunity to play some music and film. Um, they're giving us, you know, a $300 sync license and they want to split the master uh, fee. Does that sound fair? You know, St stuff like that. Then there'll be things like um, just career direction, like my record's about to come out. Um, you know, how can you help me sort of figure out a strategy on how to market this and what are the best media outlets to use? And I have X number of advertising dollars. Where do you think I should place that the most? Um, you know, things, things of that nature. Now, for those that, that you have helped and you've seen them be able to transition from doing it as a hobby and take it to a full-time career, what has been one specific characteristic that stands out for those who've managed to do that versus those who haven't? <sighs> Well, um, uh, you know, great questions. You know, thank you very much for uh, for putting a lot of thought into these questions. I appreciate it. I mean, that's that's uh, something that can be very helpful for your audience to know. And the the one main thing is that 
you know, people have made a decision that they're doing this for real. Like, in other words, this isn't a hobby. It's not like, let me move out to LA for four months and give this music thing a shot. Or let me, uh, you know, let me, let me give them this a year and see, see if I can, you know, make something happen. These are people that pretty much are in it for the long run. Um, if you try to play this game on the short term, you might have some successes here and there, but you're probably going to lose, you know, overall. You know, you have to kind of think that this is what you want to do for your life and you're going to go for it. You know, and if it takes, you know, six months or a year or two years or three years or 10 years, it doesn't really matter to you because you're a lifer. You're in it. You're doing it. You know, the people I think that make mistakes are the ones that think they're going to like, you know, hurry up and make it, you know, and they're the ones that are always trying to find the shortcuts. So the ones that have succeeded are the ones that are in it, you know, in it to win it and in it for the long haul. Um, and also they have um, an open mindedness to the fact that, you know, music is an art, but making money from it is a business. In other words, they realize that this is not just about them. It's not just about like, let me write whatever the hell I want to write and uh, the world is going to accept it. And if they don't, then the, something's wrong with the world. You know, they have a, a very smart business sense about the fact that they need to understand that it's about them, but it's also about, you know, figuring out what people want and figuring out where music is going and trying to fit a need in the marketplace. So they have some sort of business sense as well, you know, and they're willing to adjust to kind of make, you know, make things work for them. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of looking outside in the world and investigating on what, what's going on and just trying to, to strategize their way sort of, um, you know, to, to success, you know, and trying to position themselves uniquely from other people. And, you know, it's a strategy. It's not like, let me just sit in my room, whatever I want, you know, I'm going to write and then I'm going to throw it out there and everyone better like it or the hell with the world kind of attitude. You know, those kind of people usually either make it, you know, and there's those are few and far behind between or they don't make it. And that's usually the majority. Mm -hmm. So now I imagine that you've seen many different plans and strategies. How often does that strategy go off course just for the people who get discouraged and say, you know, I had this plan and it's not working out the way that I thought it would? Well, one of the one of the things that I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is that they do stuff and then they come to me and they say things like, yeah, hey, you know, uh, we're doing all the things that you write about in your books and we're doing all the things that you're saying, but, you know, somehow we don't seem to be getting to the next level. And I go, can I ask you a question? And they say, sure. And I say, how do you know you're doing the right things? And how do you know that they're working? And then all of a sudden you just see like a light bulb go in their head, off in their head and they go, I guess we don't really know, you know, so it's not enough to just market. You also have to measure your marketing too. You have to kind of see what's working and what's not these days online. There's a number of analytical tools that you can use. And um, even offline, there's, there's ways that you can figure out whether or not what you're doing is actually working because as Einstein said, the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. And unfortunately, people don't know what they're doing that's working and they don't know what what's not working. So they just just keep on doing things and they just hope that the phone is going to ring with their with their big ship coming in, you know, and and it just doesn't work that way. You know, uh, you have to check every day. Is it working? And if it's not, then you have to adjust, you know. So that's probably the thing I've noticed the most is people don't measure their marketing. And as a result, you know, six, seven months later, they get frustrated that it's not working. One other thing I, I want to add to your question, and the other problem is execution. You know, biggest problem is is people can talk a lot, 
People could talk about what they want to do and how they want to make it, where they want to go. But then the problem is, is that very few people have the desire, you know, uh, to actually change their lives and, and, you know, and, and, and get up every morning and do what they have to do. You know, they somehow always find a way to like, you know, grab the bong and light up and sit on the couch and do nothing for three hours, you know? Um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta light the fire under your ass, man. And you gotta, you, you gotta do it, man. It's, it's you versus you. Right. That's it. It's you versus you. It's like, it's no one's fault. It's no one's problem. It's, it's, if you want to do this, it's you versus you. How bad do you want it? And that's probably one of the biggest problems is that everyone says they want it, but then they don't do, you know, what, it, what it requires to, 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 to make it. So, you know, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, motivation that we could talk about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I do actually want to jump into that because sometimes people don't actually know what that looks like. So can you give some examples of what that looks like? Is that writing every day? Is that rehearsing? Is that recording and, and learning how to engineer your own stuff? What goes into that? Well, um, a, a lot of those things that you just said, but essentially, I mean, motivation really comes from deep down inside. You know, it's, it's how bad do you want this? I mean, does your life depend on it? You know, I mean, like you look at some of the great sports stars, you know, and they aren't, they aren't out there shooting basketballs on the, on, you know, in their neighborhood, you know, because they just want to, and, oh, this is fun. And if I make it, you know, that would be great. You know, they're out there because they have to be, because they're like, they need a way out. They need a way out, a way out of their neighborhood. They need a way out of their situation. They need to improve their lives because if they don't, they're just going to end up like everybody else. So there's this burning desire inside of them that says, this is about survival, man. This is about like, I have to make it. I have to change, you know? And unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that fire, man. They don't have that drive. It's just kind of like, well, if I make it, it would be cool. But I'm like, what the hell are you doing to make it? You know, are you practicing your ass off? Are you meeting with the right consultants? Are you meeting with the right teachers? Are you going to the right schools? Are you, um, you know, putting in time every day, like waking up at five in the morning or six in the morning and putting two or three hours in on your songwriting? Or are you waiting till the end of the day, like when you're too tired to do it? You know, I mean, are you giving it priority? You know, how badly do you need to make it? Um, you know, these are the things that really people need to reach down inside and they need to ask themselves because if it's not there, it's really hard to fire somebody up to get interested and get motivated. It's got to come from within. It's got to be intrinsic, not extrinsic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you name it, you know, it's staying in the studio 10 hours a day, you know, staying in the, in the practice room 10 hours a day, you know, uh, finding the best teachers, you know, studying with them and paying a little money. You know, that's the other problem. Everyone almost wants shit for free, you know, um, you know, you know, if you, you know, there's a reason why people that go to Harvard, you know, end up like, you know, um, you know, creating the best businesses and, and creating the best, uh, you know, social tools and things like that. It's because they got the best education, you know, so you want, you don't want, you want to be at that level, then you have to seek that out, man. You got to strive to be on the best teams. You got to strive to be, get the best grades. You got to strive to, you know, to, 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 to meet with the best people, you know, don't be afraid to invest in yourself, you know? Um, and a lot of people are afraid to invest in themselves, you know, they'll, instead of going out and finding the best teacher in their neighborhood, you know, to teach them how to play guitar, they'll like try to like Google it, you know I mean? You know, I'm like, come on, you guys, what the hell, you know, you know? So anyway. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think that adds to another part of just 
people are so used to being um, given things for free in this age because you can, you know, stream things for free or everybody's giving out something for free that they're kind of immune to paying for it, whether, you know, it's music or now I don't have to go to the concert. I can watch the concert, you know, live through whatever streaming service. And I think people have just kind of forgotten that the things that are really going to help lift you up and maybe put you in a better position, you might just have to pay for it. Like you're not going to see the best gurus on YouTube or be able to get the, the real wisdom that you can if you're meeting with a person one-on-one -on -one and actually learning from somebody that has the experience, not just the theory knowledge. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. You know, um, you know, I once heard someone say, you know, everybody can buy Microsoft word, but not everybody can be Hemingway, you know? So, you know, you might be able to download Microsoft word and be able to like, you know, use the word document for free, but you know, that's not going to teach you how to be Hemingway, you know? So, you know, you need to you need to seek out the right information. And, and and there's a lot of information out there. And unfortunately, a lot of it is BS. You know, um, you know, it's just everybody is trying to start a business online. Everyone's claiming to be, you know, an expert online, you know. Um, and then when you look at people's backgrounds, you know, it's sometimes they don't even share their background. You know, a lot of times these companies that are starting and things like that, they won't even put their bios up. And they won't even say who they are, you know, maybe because there's not really much to say, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with giving away things for free and, you know, and 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 giving people a little sample or taste about what you do. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, one thing I did notice is that, you know, a lot of people want stuff for free until it's their stuff. Then they want you to buy it. You know what I mean? So, you know, a, a lot of my young clients and students and stuff, they don't have any problem downloading stuff for free, downloading music for free, you know, downloading books for free. They don't have any problem with that. But as soon as they put out their music and they put out their shows, they want you to pay for it. And I'm like, wow, huh? See, so now things are changing. huh? So, you know. Now, when you talk about certain people not having that fire in them, do you think it's because maybe they're comfortable? Because a lot of people that that we do see make it to the next level. It's kind of like their backs were almost against the wall or they, they saw no plan B. They felt like this is the only option I have. Or like you said, their life depended on it. And so some people, maybe they're just comfortable. Like they don't really have anything that's pushing them to go further or anything that's going to really be taken away from them. That's going to change their life extremely. Well, right. And, and, for, and we, first we also have to kind of divide like your potential audience into two people. I mean, there's the people out there that really, really, really want to do it and they don't have anything else going for them. And they, they, this is what they got. And then there's also people that, you know, have good jobs and, you know, and this is just a hobby. And like, you know, if they could do this, it would be cool. But if not, you know, they've got their 401k and they got their job and they got their health insurance and they're fine with it, you know? Um, so it, it depends you want out of life too i mean it's not like everybody has to be like a psycho and and has to do this 24 7 and wants to you know and want to do this for the rest of their life i mean that's going to be one person and then the other person might just want to do this for a hobby and hey if it works out it works out you know so i think first it's it, it's kind of an issue of deciding on which one you are you know it, do you really really want to do this i mean for me when i was a kid i wanted this so bad it was like 
air and water to me. There was no option. I had to make it. Um, So my life depended on it. It was just like, you know, and I did crazy shit in order to, to, to get where I did, you know? Um, And uh, I certainly wish I could have gotten much, much farther. I wish I could say right now that, you know, that I'm a member of Metallica or something like that. You know, I mean, I got into, I definitely got into the majors. I got into the ballpark and ran around the bases, you know, um, didn't get to that level. Certainly wish I could, but I'm very proud of where I got because, you know, even where I got, you know, you know, 95% of the people don't get, you know? So in in any case, um, you got to decide if you want to be that, or you just kind of want to, you know, you're just kind of okay with being sort of a, Hey, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know? So that's number one, you know, number two, um, you know, considering if, if you are the person that really, really wants to go for it, you kind of have to think about the people that you're around because a lot of times the people that surround you have a lot to do with, with, with your sort of drive and motivation as well. If people are just saying, yeah, dude, you're the shit. Yeah. You're the bomb, man. Yeah. You know, or do you have people around you that's going, yo, bro, man, you know, you might be good in that little town of like, you know, nowhere, you know, USA, but dude, you know, if you were in New York city or, or, or LA, man, there's some monsters out there, you know, and you got to step up your game, you know? And I think a lot of times, you know, people's motivation is because they're surrounded by people that are just kissing their ass and telling them how good they are. When in reality, if they were in New York or L.A. or Nashville or something, they'd be really realizing, you know, how good or good or not good they are, you know. So that's one thing, you know, you sort of are a product of your environment, you know. Um, So, you know, um, you kind of have to you have to be you have to be realistic about this. You know, you kind of really have to know what you're up against. Study your competition. You know, know know what the what the really great people are are doing and why they're great. And, and you know, and kind of look at yourself in a realistic way. And and you know, and uh, and, and maybe that will fire you up. <laughs> yeah, and even just to go back to what you said about like this has to be a, a lifetime journey. Now, in regards to the peers that you've been around and even the clients that you work with. What has been like the average amount of time that you've seen before someone actually has been able to to cross over to do this full time? Because some people think it can happen overnight and maybe that's because they're looking at YouTube stars or, you know, these one hit wonders. But for the people right. that sustain, you know, this could this could take five years, 10 years potentially. Right. You know, it, it's it, it can actually. And, and usually it's not like. I just meet someone and then three months later, they're doing, you know, huge stuff. But I mean, I could tell you, you know, throughout my course of being in LA, you know, I mean, I have, I mean, I could tell you a number of stories. I mean, when I was at Berkeley college of music, there was a band rehearsing next to me and these guys used to rehearse their asses off and they weren't actually that good, but they were doing something interesting and their fucking drive was insane. And sorry for swearing. I don't know. You might have to beat me. But um, their drive was absolutely insane. And they ended up being, I don't know if you're into rock, but they ended up being Dream Theater, you know, Um, which is a a huge progressive rock band, you know, and now they've had a, a huge long career. And that was within the period of like 10 years. They went from like, just like playing little basements to like, you know, you know, being huge, you know, um, when I first came out to, to Los Angeles, I, I went to a party with a guy named Matt and I was with another friend uh, as well from Boston. 
And um, he told me that he was like in this new show and, you know, and it's just kind of starting to happen. And he's been in LA busting his ass for many, many years and going on auditions and like, you know, and, you know, you know, he had a lot of trouble and stuff and it was just like hard to pay rent and, and, and being, you know, the dude on friends, you know, um, you know, Joey, Wow. And, uh, you know, and he was the coolest guy and he was so down to earth and he was just like, I've been working my ass off going after audition, after audition, after audition. Finally, I got on this show called Friends and I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I hope it does, you know, and bam, then it happens. You know, I've had students, um, a kid that was a good, good kid, worked his ass off, played his ass off on his keyboards. Um, you know, a year or two later, he ended up being uh, the musical director for Ariana Grande. You know, and now he's on he's on tour with Ariana Grande. You know, I've had students that, you know, have been struggling with writing songs and things like that. And all of a sudden now they, they call me and they go, hey, man, I got a publishing deal and I'm now writing with so and so. And, you know, it, it takes time man. you know, it doesn't just happen overnight. You know, you got to kind of got to be in the game. Yeah. And when I what I want to emphasize on that, which I keep getting out of a lot of people that I interview is that. It's not always about the talent. It's about the consistency and the work that you put in. Because you may have someone that's very talented, but they don't put in the work. So they'll never get as far as they potentially could. But the person who may not be as good, but they continuously work at it, those are the ones who break through. So there's uh, so in Los Angeles, like we have a lot of mountains like around the city. And a lot of people go hiking and occasionally people see mountain lions. And, uh, and there's a joke. It says... What happens if you're walking in the hills and you and you know with your with a friend or something and you see a mountain lion and the joke is run faster than your friend. <laughs> so so the point where you're what you're just said mm-hmm. you know and that joke if you think about it it's going. not about it's about going it's about staying in the game man. I have seen more talented people quit over the years and it's it's the ones like if you stay in it man at the like it's like a triangle at the base there's a lot of people and as you get higher and higher and higher people start falling off and the ones that that end up on the top are the ones that stay in it man i've got friends dude i could tell you stories about friends man that i've seen practicing their ass off and shit and they're you know not sure they're gonna make it and they just keep on working keep on doing shitty little like blues gigs and little cover gigs and shit and now this one cat is playing on record on our you know on rihanna records and stuff you know and he's a big session player in New York, you know? And it's like, man, I knew that, dude. You know? <laughs> All right. You know what I'm saying? I, I remember seeing, like, when I was in Florida, I remember seeing this dude. They used to pull up in this shitty-ass station wagon, and they used to bring their gear into the thing and the club and stuff like that. And on the side of one of the cases, you know, it said Marilyn Manson on it. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, this is this band called Marilyn Manson. You know, I've been hearing a little bit about them. And then, bam, the guy blows up to be a huge superstar, huge. you know? You know, so I saw these guys when they were nothing, just playing shit of little clubs, pulling up in little station wagons, you know? Mm-hmm. So I have seen, like, what could happen when your mind is set on doing something, you know, and, and staying in the game and, like, and like learning, making mistakes and fixing your mistakes and, and just, you know, and just going at it, you know? Um, but people, man, are just looking for shortcuts, man. They're, they just want to win the lottery. That's it. And that I think is a bad approach. Mm-hmm. 
And when you talk about Marilyn Manson, that was at a time where we didn't have all the social media tools and ways to get exposure that we do nowadays. So what do you think are some of the best tools that independent musicians can use to gain more exposure? Well, you know, I, I mean, definitely, I mean, we're in a digital world, so there's a lot of things that you could do on the internet and there's, um, but, but then I caution on just staying on the internet. There's literally, you know, at least 10 different promotional mix strategies that you can use. So I'll go over them. There's the internet, right? There is word of mouth marketing. There's guerrilla street marketing. There's radio promotion. There is sponsorships. There is publicity. There's advertising. There's direct marketing. There's face-to-face -face selling. There's sales promotions. So all of these things are both online and offline communications. And, you know, I mean, it would take a whole, like, you know, it would take a whole, you know, hour or two to go over all of these things. But they're in, you know, my book, Music Marketing for the DIY Musician, if, any, if anyone wants to read about those things in more detail. But the idea is not just to do one thing because people aren't one dimensional. You want to kind of hit people from a lot of different angles. So, I mean, you know, certainly you have to know how to use the Internet. You have to know how to use social you know, networks correctly. And but what I mean by correctly is, you know, be social on social networks, you know, uh, um, people like do the strangest things online. You know, they have usernames like Jack Hoff, you know, 666, you know, I'm like going like I want to be friends with some guy named Jack Hoff 666. I mean, you know, use your name man. my username is Bborg, you know, at Bobby or Bobby Borg. It's just like. You know, th th then they, they friend me and they want me to be friends and they don't even have a, a proper profile picture. They have like that, that you know, Twitter egg yeah. default egghead or or they have a picture of a dog or some like mysterious picture or some shit. You know, when would you ever walk to somebody in a club and say, hey, I want to be your friends and like have a bag over your head, right. you know, <laughs> or when would you walk up to somebody in a club and go, yo, drop in Friday, check me out. You know, how many times do I get links like that, emails from people that say, yo, drop in Friday, check it out. You know, I mean, that's that's not social, man. Like, say, hey, Bobby, how's, how's it going? I met you through this. I was wondering if you could check out my thing. You know, so people like people get brave, like with the anonymity of like the Internet. You know, they say things that they would never say to people in, in their face and they act in a way that they would never act in public. You know, but social media, man, is the same thing as, as networking. It's just you're networking online, you know, so you have to kind of bring a human element to it. You know, I mean, so it's not just say, yeah, you know, use YouTube or, or use social networks. You got to do it the right way, you know, and um, and, and you got to do a lot of reading on like, you know, because it changes all the time. Mm, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, because I, I, I read a lot of books. I, I bought your book and I read it as well. And there's a lot of things that I just didn't know before, but I had read the passing books and, you know, the licensing books and many other things. But all of you guys bring so many different elements. It's like this is an industry where there's not really an endpoint, especially with technology. There's always going to be some something else new to learn or something else is going to come out next year. You know, first we we had CDs and then we had to deal with downloads and now we have to deal with streaming and there will be something else after that. So you can't stop the education when it comes to this business yeah it, it, and that kind of makes it a little bit overwhelming because you know you, you you definitely do have to continue to keep on learning you know i'm a lifelong learner myself you know um and um 
you know, you just have to keep, you just have to keep on reading. My suggestion would be to find a couple reputable blogs that you like, you know, follow a couple reputable people on Twitter and, and just kind of read some of the information that they put out, you know, and, uh, you know, don't get overwhelmed by, by all the, the information, you know, just pick one or two sources that you really like and, and just try to stay up to date. You know, that's the, the best you can do, you know, try to go to some conferences, you know, listen to some like, you know, music business panels and things like that, because you're right. It does change all the time and it's pretty overwhelming, you know, not to mention you have to be good at your music. You know, you can't be sitting around, you know, <laughs> trying to learn social media all day. You know, you got to be writing songs too, you know, and, and, and you got to be playing your guitar and you got to be learning how to sing and learn how to, you know, write, you know, so it's kind of like, it's, it's really challenging from that perspective. You have to balance everything out, you know? Yeah. I, and, and what you said is true. I mean, it's going to be harder even though people take a lot of pride in, you know, being independent, but that also means you have to pick up that workload that a whole team would normally pick up for you if you were at a label or something. So it's like, if you do want to take the independent route, you really have to be dedicated because you may be managing yourself. You may be your own tour manager. You may not have enough money to pay an attorney. So now you have to, you know, like you said, read books and try to figure out what these contracts mean. You have to run your social media without forgetting to practice your craft. No, that's correct you know my book is called music marketing for the diy musician which stands for do it yourself but it really could also be called music marketing for the byob musician and i don't mean i don't mean bring your own beer i mean be your own boss musician because that's essentially what i mean you know essentially what we're talking about is being your own boss you know taking control of your own career you know pretty much managing it but it doesn't mean doing it all yourself you know even some of the big independent success stories like ryan lewis and you know and macamore you know even those guys they're not independent a lot of people think oh they're diy you know those guys have one of the biggest independent distributors out there ada alternative Distri distribution alliance so i mean you know it's being your own boss and then outsourcing and like knowing the right people that you're going to need to hire to work with you, you know? So, um, so that's also an important, important thing to re to remember as well. Yeah. Is that, you know, you need to kind of, you're, you're, you're pretty much, you're being entrepreneurial. You're, you're being like, uh, you know, proactive, you're taking charge of your own career, but then what you're also doing is you're knowing when you need to outsource services to other professionals and you're hiring other people that are going to be working with you as well, you know? And, um, and that's kind of an important thing to understand. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about being your boss and essentially running your own business, can you give us some of the steps that every musician should take to make sure that their business is set up correctly? Well, yeah. I mean, if you, if you just mean, you know, from the perspective of, of, a, of, of a legal, of a, from, from a legal perspective, I mean, you know, there's a number of things you can do. I mean, but I think the, the problem with, what you're the problem your it was a very good question but i think the problem with not your question but the way people perceive setting up a business is they think that hey all i got to do is you know um you know you know figure out like you know uh, to, to go to my you know 
figure out whether or not I want to be an LLC, a limited liability company, figure out whether or not I want to be a C corporation, a classic C corporation, or whether or not I want to be an S corporation. And I go down to my, 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 you know, my, my city and I, I file and now I have a corporation and, you know, and then I go and I get like my tax ID number, you know, and I, I, and now people can write checks in the name of my business. And then I go to USPTO, United States Patent and Trademark Office, and I trademark my name, you know, and now I like, you know, register my copyrights and then I register my masters with sound exchange and all this stuff. And, you know, now I got all the business together. And, and, you know, that doesn't make a business, you know, now you need a product, you know what I mean? So first what comes before any of that comes the product, you, you have to, you have to be clear about like what it is that you're doing, where it is that you want to go and how that product or service is going to fill a need or solve a problem in the marketplace, you know, because otherwise all you have is you have a business entity set up with no real like product or service you know, and you have nothing then, you know what I mean? So, so you can't put the cart before the horse. I think ultimately first you need to figure out, you know, do I have the product or service, you know, and, and am I really doing anything unique? And am I just doing the same shit that everyone else is doing? You know, so first you have to figure that out. And then I think once you get to a point where, you know, your music is going to be published, you know, then I think you want to go ahead and take the steps to setting up your business, you know, sign up with the PRO performing rights organization. You know, most likely it's going to be ASCAP or BMI and you're going to register as both the publisher and the writer. Then you're going to register your copyrights with the copyright office of Washington, DC at the copyright.gov. And then you're going to go ahead and register your masters with sound exchange so that you can collect digital performance royalties on web radio, you know, and then you might go get a DBA, what's called the doing business as, or a fictitious fictitious name statement and you're going to go ahead and get a tax id number so that people could write checks in the name of your business then you're going to go ahead and take the name and you're going to trademark it with the united states patent and trademark office so you can make their that is, is is cool then once you have that now you have to figure out how you're going to administer your copyrights who's going to collect the money who's going to issue the licenses you know things of that nature um so you might contact the harry fox agency also known as HFA, to collect your mechanical royalties, you know, in the case that you're signed and a, and a record company is going to be paying you mechanical royalties. You know, you already, you're already registered with a performing rights organization, so you're cool there. Um, now you have to figure out, with regard to synchronization, how are you going to license your, you know, your, your, your masters and your songs to people that want to use it in film and television and video games, and how are you even going to find those people? You know, then you might think about how you're going to collect your royalties in foreign territories when your records are released in different territories. You know, so there's a lot of stuff that that will come, but first the product and service has to come first. Got it. And now, only only one thing I always kind of think about what should come first when it talks about you know the product because is there marketing before you even set up the business? So say you have the the product done, you have the album finished, should you start marketing it? unless you get that trademark done first in terms of your, your stage name and your record label, because that can take time. So when you say put the product first, is there an exception when it comes to trademarks? Because you don't want to get out there and have your name out there and then you find out you can't use it because the process is six months to a year. 
Well, that's a, that's a really, really great question. If you're asking specifically about trademarks, um, what a lot of people don't know is that a, a trademark is, is formed by, in, by usage. So in other words, you don't get a trademark by registering a trademark. You get a trademark by using a trademark. So in other words, if I come up with a name or if you and me come up with a band name, and it, it, it's fine, you know, we came up with the name, but we don't own it because we're not using it. So in order to own it, we need to start using it in commerce, right? So we need to start playing around in our local community or, you know, maybe selling it at a local consignment shop or that kind of thing. And automatically by doing that, a trademark is formed. However, it's limited to the geographical region in which we're using it. So in other words, if we start using it in California, we might own it in California. Now, the problem is, is that someone else could start using it in Florida after we start using it in California, which means now we can't use it in Florida and they can't use it in California. And that's kind of difficult, obviously, because when you're a band, you need to use it nationwide. So usually the rule of thumb is that when you first start a band or you first start a career and you're not really sure it's going anywhere, you know, and you're playing around locally and stuff, you know, it's all good and said and done. But then as, as things start to really progress and it looks like you're actually going to maybe have a career and you start playing over state lines and you start doing business over state lines, then that's when you might want to start looking into registering your trademark with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So there's a time and place. I mean, you know, if you, if for example, I mean, it's like saying, do you need to copyright register the first song you ever write? You know, you know, I mean, in the best world, yeah, but but is it practical? No, you know, because I mean, think about all the songs I've written when I first started out. I wouldn't even steal them for myself. You know what I mean? You know, so it does. It's not necessarily practical. So really, what we're talking about here is if money is no issue. Then yeah, go ahead and 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 you know, as soon as you start using your name, go ahead and register it, you know, federally. But is that practical? I mean, think about all the little high school bands that start that never go anywhere. Is it practical for them to come up with four hundred bucks? You know, not not necessarily. Now, um, you can answer this question like from many different perspectives and how you choose to. But what does every musician need to do to make sure that they maximize their opportunity of collecting or generating income? So that can, like you mentioned earlier, the PROs or how to monetize certain things, or is it marketing yourself in certain ways? Like, how do they maximize that opportunity? Well, um, I could, yeah, you're right. I could interpret this question in, in many, many different ways. Um, I mean, there's lots of different ways that you can make money from one song, if that's what you mean, or if you mean, you know, how do you make sure to collect the income that you're entitled to? Both. Actually. I mean, you could you can answer it that way, or, or, or you could even answer, how do you ensure that you even are going to have a, a chance? <laughs> you know, I mean, because just because you write a song doesn't mean it's going to generate income. You know, so. You know, so then that would be more of an innovation and marketing question. So it depends on how you want me to answer this. Yeah, I guess you can actually take it from the opposite order of how you put it, because it kind of seems like how do you get the chance and then how do you set up the infrastructure to collect it? And then okay, what so, are the opportunities that are actually out there, you know, licensing or whatever. Okay, so I mean, that could be like, that could be the whole interview in itself. So I'll keep it really short, right? So the first thing is, I mean, obviously, um, and this is so hard for musicians to understand because musicians 
a lot of times just go in their room and they just write from their heart and they create art and then they just hope that everyone's going to like it, you know? Now the problem with that is, is there have been some success stories that have done that. And then, you know, you'll hear people do interviews and stuff. And they're like, man, I didn't listen to anyone. I just did what I did. And I put it out there and, you know, I believe in myself and all that shit. And, you know, and, and then they make it really big. But then there's a lot of people that really kind of like look at what's going on in the world, pay attention, you know, are influenced by everything that's going on. They analyze like what is happening and then they analyze what's not happening. And then they analyze what needs to happen. And they, and they take the, the louder route. They take the, what needs to happen route. And rather than just being a copycat and trying to like follow in everyone else's footsteps, they're the leaders. They're the innovators. They're the ones that are doing something new and creating something new, you know? Um, so I would say that is what you need to do first and foremost, you know, you kind of need to be the leader of the pack. You need to kind of take what's going on in music right now and you need to push it, not just emulate it. Because, you know, you're going to come out and it's just like, hey, guess what? Great. You sound like Kanye West, you know, but he's been out for 15 years, you know? I mean, it's just like he's already doing it. You know what I mean? So you need to like take what he's doing and you need to push it to the next level, you know? And then people, so people look at you and go, damn, like, what's this? This is kind of interesting, you know? It's not too left field, but it's definitely going in a new direction. So I think in this day and age, that's what you need to do. You, 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 need, you need to really find some sort of uniqueness, you know, in some way, or shape or form. Okay, so now that you have that and you got this product that, you know, kind of everybody is interested in, you know, then you got to make sure your ducks are all in a row. And we already kind of talked about that, you know, um, you know, you're going to, um, uh, you know, maybe have access to maybe a good attorney that you can speak with, you know, um, you're going to uh, set up your publishing company, you know, you're going to sign up with the performing rights organizations, you're going to sign up with sound exchange, you're going to get your trademark registered, you're going to get your songs registered, um, you're going to make sure that, you know, when you issue licenses to people, you're really clear about what you're signing. And then when you issue licenses to people, you're really clear about the money that may potentially come in. And you're going to be really clear about how that money should be collected. And then you're going to, you know, figure out the proper channels in which to make sure that that money is collected. Right. Um, and then the, 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 I think the third part is, you know, how can you expand your revenues and, um, how can you expand your revenue streams and how can you, you know, sort of make, you know, money from one different song? I mean, well, there's a multitude of ways that you can do it. I mean, first of all, a song can be released as a single, a song can be released on an LP or an EP, right? A song could be released on a compilation with other artists' songs, right? A song could be re released as a digital download. It could be released as a CD. It could be released as a stream. It could be released as a cassette tape if you wanted to. It could be released um, with the stems of the recorded stems, which could be a product itself and that, so that people can like remix it and share it with friends. Um, you could take the vocals off of a song and license it as an instrumental you can lower the vocals on a song it's called a vocal down mix or 
um, production purposes for, you know, licensing of film and television. You can actually do an acoustic version of the song. You could do an EDM version of the song. You could do a foreign translation of the song and, and have it sung in Spanish, for example. You can actually do a guest appearance version of the song where you bring on other local rappers or whatever, and they sing a verse and you sing a verse. So now you got two or three people promoting the song instead of just you. You could, um, you know, co-write with people. So now you're borrowing the connections and brand equity they have um, because now you're, 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 you're working with them, you know, and you're, 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 you're both now pitching a song instead of just you, you know, you could um, take the, the, the lyric from the songs and you could put it on a t-shirt and you could sell that as a piece of merch. You know, <laughs> you could take your song and you can create a lyric sheets out of it and you can tell people how you came up with the lyrics and, and how you were inspired, and that could become a book in and of itself. You know, you could take the music and you can transcribe it, and, and people might be interested in buying the sheet music of your songs. I mean, I could just keep on going, man. I mean, yeah, there's like it seems you know, like it, yeah. Like, yeah, that might be the the highlight of this for, for when people say, oh, "I don't know how to make any money from this." Well, he just gave you a a list full of things that you can do, like so. Many yeah, I mean, I, I I think I I gave at least you know twenty five different ways that you can make money from one song. So you know, definitely, yeah, you have to be kind of creative. You have to be an innovator when it comes to this kind of stuff. You know, yeah. each one is a different asset that you can go out there and turn into a different product. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And by the way, you know, if people people like are listening to this and they're like going, damn, I mean, there's a lot of information we're spitting out here. You know, like I said, I've already mentioned my book, Music Marketing for the DIY Musician. But if people don't like to actually read and, and a lot of people don't, which is understandable, it, it's also available on a streaming version, too, as well. So I made a complete video series on this and it's it's available on a website called Groove 3 g-r-o-o-v-e-3 i think and it's called the same thing music marketing for the diy musician but you can actually watch it you can watch these courses so that you don't have to actually read so um that could be helpful for your audience as well if they're interested cool perfect perfect thank you oh i kind of wanted to jump back a little bit into when you were talking about all of these different things that you can use to engage with your friends and how to stay social do you recommend that people use all of them or is it just like at least try to use three to five of them well i think it's important to um, use the one where your audience is going to hang out the most you know so it depends but i mean there's a lot of research about this i mean you don't you don't even necessarily need to see the research you can just observe and you know young folks really aren't on twitter as much as they are on instagram you know so you want to be on Instagram more than you do on Twitter, let's just say, for example, you know, and um, Snapchat used to be like really happening. But I, I, I'm hearing lately it's starting to trail off a little bit, you know, um, so definitely you want to you know, you want to figure out like where your fans mostly are. And then you want to be at those places. So, yeah, you don't need to know like 15 or 20 or 30. I mean, because it gets overwhelming. Just pick the ones you like the best, you know, Um you know, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube or something. And you just call, call quits and that's it, you know? And then you learn those as well as you can, you know? Okay, now to switch it over a little bit, because this is one part that was really interesting to me in your book, not the marketing one, the business basics for musicians, the part about merchandising. Now, I saw the example you gave about giving it to the, um, the distributor 
and the wholesale price is 10 bucks and then they give it to the retail store and then that may be 25 bucks and then your cut may be 15%, which is $1.50. Now, it kind of seems like it's the same breakdown in regards to releasing a record and then the distributors getting a cut and the record label getting a cut. When people talk about music and owning your masters, is there a way that you can get a larger cut of the the retail of merchandise instead of just getting a dollar fifty off of every shirt, you're getting you know seven to ten bucks. How does that work, or is it only a, these big companies that you can work with? Well, I mean, <clears throat> it depends on on what you're talking about. Like, it depends on whether or not you're talking about licensing a song or licensing a record or licensing a t-shirt. Like, it all depends on the type of deal that you're entering into. So let's just say, for example, um, let's just, let's just, hey man, let's just lay it on the line, man. Let's talk, cause we've been talking about, you know, your my books and things like that. We've been talking about music marketing for the DIY musician. We've been talking about business basics for musicians. You know, let me just lay it on the line about how it works with that. You know, so I could have, right? So I could have essentially um, edited this book myself. I could have actually gone to a printer, could have gone to even a Kinko's if I wanted to. I could have said, here's a cover, here's all the pages, you know, print this thing up, you know, make me 50 or 60 copies or whatever. And I could just start selling them, right? And in that particular case, there is no middleman. I'm doing it myself. So if a dollar comes in, essentially the dollar goes into my pocket and I pay off any expenses that I might have had. Right. You know, so but but what I chose to do was I chose to go through a publisher. And the reason why I chose to go through a publisher is for the legitimacy of being with the publisher and being with the worldwide publisher rather than, you know, anybody can put their, their book up on Amazon, you know, but nobody can be published by, you know, how Leonard and released all over the, the country. So I chose to go with them. Okay. Now the way it works is normally they give you an advance. So they give you an advance to, to, to put together, you know, the book and to spend two or three or four years writing it. Right. They give you a little bit of money up front and then pretty much what they do is they give you a small ass little share in uh, in the sales, and that small ass little share goes back towards paying the advance that they gave you. So you might ask, why the hell would anyone do that? And the reason why is number one, the legitimacy of being with the huge publisher. Number two, tapping into their huge distribution channel, and number three, the professionalism that they're going to have in helping you put together the book. I mean, they're going to have the best editors, the best graphic designers, and all that kind of stuff. And then finally, because this ain't about selling books. In other words, I'm not about selling books. I'm talking about it only because it's a powerful uh, book that I put a lot of heart and love into and can change people's lives. But in terms of me getting any kind of money from it, you'll be lucky if I see anything. If someone goes out and buys the book right now, I'm not going to see anything from it. You know, I'm not going to see anything from it for, for probably a couple years, you know, but where, where I do see stuff from it is everything that happens as a result of the credibility of being a published author. I mean, the book is used in, in schools around the world. It's, it's used, it's talked about on the internet. And as a result, people hire me 
to come speak at their schools and they pay me a lot of money and I get hired to teach at major schools like at UCLA and at Musicians Institute. That's how you make the money, you know? So, you know, so it all depends on, on really how many people you want to involve, you know, you are the creator and then there's an end user. So how many people are you going to evolve in between you, the creator and the end user? And that's going to determine how much money you keep. Yeah. It, it mirrors the record business closely. It looks like, like kind of the, the same, the same format. It is. It's, it is exactly. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, and same like thing. you said, even just using one song to get all these different opportunities, like the same thing with the book. Cause now people are reading it and now you have clients who want you to consult them or you're going to teach out of school or, you know, you're going to be at a panel at one of these big music events. So it's like, goes back to what you said first about just having a product first, have that good product something that people can actually believe in and then like you said you have the back end of how leonard which is notable and reputable now people can say this is legit and that can you know take you to more places than being the self-published author and that's the toss-up you know that i could say hey man i want all the money you know but then you know you can have all the money but that doesn't mean more money you know you get what i'm saying so I mean, the, the whole toss-up, whenever you enter into an agreement, and ec economics, it's called opportunity cost. That means for every opportunity, there's a cost for that opportunity. You know, So for every opportunity, such as signing a record label, there's a cost for that. You're going to have to give up a portion of your master's, if not all of it. You're going to have to give up a portion of your publishing, maybe even a portion of your merchandising, maybe even a, port a portion of your live concert money. But then there's also the opportunity that's involved. The credibility, the, you know, the experiences, you know, all of the um, collective manpower or person power that you're going to get from from the organization. So you can't always look at it as what you're giving up. You also got to look at it what you're getting back as well. And if it's balanced, then you do the deal. If it's not balanced, then you don't do the deal. Yeah, because I, I hear a lot of people that are totally 100 percent against like 360 deals. But from from hearing you speak it's kind of like you have to weigh out the pros and the cons of it you know and based on your situation you know will this help you right now in life because you're about to be homeless you know and you can potentially help your family help yourself or do you want to just say no i'm going to do everything on my own and end up homeless and you know you can't support anybody yeah i mean you know you know and then on the other hand you might decide to do it all yourself and and, you know, things work out really well. And now you have, you know, you own 100% of your masters and you own 100% of the income and, you know, and that could happen too, you know. Uh, so that's the toss up. It could happen or it couldn't happen, you know. So that's why you, that's kind of the balancing act that you have to do whenever you enter into a business arrangement. You have to ask yourself, what's the opportunity and what's the cost? And is the opportunity match the cost, you know? And then if you ever, if you feel you're giving up too much and you're not getting up enough back, then you don't do the deal. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty square, you know? So what, to, so to answer your question, when I entered into agreements as an artist, you know, I, I measured that opportunity cost and felt that the opportunity was far greater than the cost. And I would make up for it in other ways. Now, when it comes to building an audience and a fan base in regards to touring, how does somebody go from having nobody come to their shows to being able to book paid events? Like, what does that look like in, in a timeline or chronological order? How, how do you normally see that play out? Well, let's just break this down to something more simple. 
right? Let's just say we were having a party. We were throwing a party. Okay, so we just wanted to have a we wanted to throw a barbecue party on Fourth of July, right? And we're just gonna we're just gonna have a party, you know. We we we're like going to high school, or we're going to college, and we want some uh, cute girls to come to our party, and we want some cool guys to come to our party. Like, like, how are we gonna get people to come to our party? Well, first of all, by like having something cool that people want to go to. You know what I mean? So we're going to have like, you know, some good ass food. We're going to have a pool. We're going to have a jacuzzi. We're going to have like maybe a movie like projecting by the pool. We're going to have this badass DJ that's going to come. You know, there's going to be other cute girls there because when there's other cute girls there, then the other cute girls want to come too. And then the guys come because the cute girls are going to be there. You know, I mean, it's the same thing, man. You got to give people what they want, you know, essentially. You and 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 you've got to twist it in a way so that they understand like what they're going to get and and they're going to be like, "Shit, this is pretty badass. I want to go to this thing," you know? I mean, really it's it's there's no difference. You know, if you're playing a local club and you say, "Yo, playing Tuesday night at the Whiskey, be there." I mean, what the fuck is that? You know what I mean? It's like, how are people going to get excited about that? You know what I mean? It's just like, you got to make people excited about it. You got to give them what you want. You got to sell the benefits to them. You got to give them a reason to give a shit, you know? I mean, that's, that's pretty much what you got to do. So what, you know, if, when you take all the magic out of it, you know, how do I get people to my show? You just go, well, how would you get people to come to your party? It's the same, it's the same thing. If you were throwing like a little after school party or a little barbecue party, how would you get people to come to that? You know, you'd walk around and you talk to people. You see some cute girls at the grocery store. You'd say, hey, man, we're throwing a party. You guys want to come out? You got some nice flyers or something. You talk it up. You're, you know, you got a little bit of a game and you know how to talk to them and stuff like that. You get them interested. And, you know, then you get like a couple other people. You go, hey, did you know so-and-so is going to be there? And they're like, really? So-and-so is going to be there? Well, so-and-so is going to be there. Then I got to be there because so-and-so is somebody, you know? So then, so then maybe you get like, you know, a sponsor involved and you tell them, yeah, man, this thing's going to be sponsored by Red Bull or it's going to be sponsored by Grey Goose. And they're like, really? Grey Goose is coming out of shit, you know? Okay. So these guys must be somebody. And then, you know, it's, it's so on and so on and so on, you know, <laughs> it just keeps on going from there. Yeah. Now to, to get to the other part in terms of booking paid gigs within venues, how does that usually happen? Are the the promoters looking for specific numbers or are they willing to give people a shot to come in and take, you know, part of the door money or what do you have to bring to the table in order for that to happen? Well, it depends on what kind of event you're doing. I mean, if it's an event with a promoter, then all the really the promoter cares about is putting asses in seats, essentially, right? That's all they care about. You know, they don't care about how good you are. They just care about how big your 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 email list is, you know, and how many th- people are you going to bring. I mean, usually the the clubs that are promoted in LA, they usually have three or four different promoters that are all working one night, and each promoter has a list. And when you come in, you just say, what promoters list are you on? And they try to get as many people as they can. And the more people they get determines what kind of cut of the door they're going to get and what kind of split at the bar they're going to get, you know? So if a promoter's willing to work with you, it's because they're confident that you can bring in people, you know? And how do you prove to somebody that you can bring in people? Well, before you try to play the bigger clubs, play the smaller ones and prove that you can draw people. Right. Oh, and this question is kind of just off course, but I seen your um 
UCLA extension class or is this for anybody who wants to take it or do you have to have prerequisites from a, another course to join your course? No, actually, um, it, you don't. You know, it's the enrollment process. I mean, even though it's UCLA, the, the enrollment process is a lot lighter. It's not like you have to, like, take SATs or you have to have pre, any re prerequisites to, to take the course. Like, And, in fact, I have an online class that's starting um, coming up here. It's, um, it's a class called Intro to Music Publishing, a creative and business perspective for musicians. And it's starting, and literally... If you're listening to this podcast in New York or wherever, New Orleans, you can you can actually take it because it's online. And then there's another class that's starting called Music Marketing for the DIY Musician, and that's on campus. And you can pay to take that class as well. And um, there's no prerequisites that are required. You know, I give you prerequisites, and that's that you're going to have to kick some ass and show up every week. You know, <laughs> um, so you're going to have to come in there with some attitude. But in terms of like ac academic requirements, you don't have to have any, you know. Okay, cool. So if you people out there are serious about learning about the music business, you might want to check that out. Now, this is uh, yeah, for sure. My, my final question: um, What are some of the resources or best tips that you can provide? And this is based on your experience for someone who considers themselves a quote-unquote starving artist or someone who has no backing or financial resources, what can they do for the people that feel like they have nothing at all? Even though some, there's things people always have. If you have a cell phone, you can record a video or take pictures. So it's not like you don't have anything, but people who feel like they don't have the team or the right financial resources, what are some of the tips you can provide for them? Um, well, I mean, there's, let's, I mean, there's, we can categorize resources into so many different things. Like, like, so for example, at the, at the very, very back of the um, music marketing for the DIY musicians, there's over like 500 different resources that you can sort of, you can utilize. So I'm going to just pull a couple from there. Um, some associations that you could join, you could join like the American marketing association if you wanted to, and that's an association of marketers, and they do have student chapters where you can go to like, like regular meetings and you can um, talk with other marketers and get some information from them and uh, maybe get some inspiration from them. There's also an organization called the Small Business Administration, um, and you can get um, business advice and help from them, and they do free mentoring as well at the small business administration. Um, so that could be, you know, helpful for people. There's also informational blogs that you can check out that are very, very helpful. Um, there's, you know, a blog called hype bot. There's also a, a, a blog called mashable. There's, um, you know, uh, a magazine, a very, very useful magazine called fast company, which you could check out. Um, you know, maybe I'll give you guys one more and then maybe you could just check out the book yourself because there's like literally 350 or five, I don't know how many there are, it's a lot of them, but I don't know if you guys know this, but there's also what's called open source learning. So in other words, Berkeley college of music offers free classes, um, at what's called berkeleyshares.com. Um, Stanford university also does it. University of California at Berkeley also does it. Yale University also does it. University of Notre Dame also does it. It's called open source learning. 
So you literally can take like a writing class at Berkeley for free, you know? So you got to know about the stuff, you know? So check out the book. There's literally crap loads of resources in there for you. Cool. And before we get out, I always like to just open the floor. Like if there's anything that I didn't cover, any questions that I didn't ask or some things that you want to put out there that people should know, go ahead and just. Well, I mean, you, you asked a lot of questions and we covered a lot. So I think you're, you're pretty good, man. You were pretty thorough, but I mean, just to reiterate like a couple things. Um, I, I just think that the, the kind of the biggest mistake out there that I see is number one, people, people pursue a career in a vacuum. That means they live in their own little bubble and they live in their own little world and they just write songs and they just hope it's going to be successful. Hope is not a strategy. You got, you got to look at the world sort of, you know, on more of a macro sort of scale and you got to look at what's going on around you and you got to pay attention. You got to, you, you know, position yourself in the marketplace. That's going to be unique from other people. You can't just blindly be up in your room writing stuff and just hoping it's all going to work out. So that's the first thing. Um, so you have to, you have to develop some business chops, man. This isn't just about music and your creativity. It's about business too. So you have to be a business person as well, not just an artist. Um, business. Yeah, exactly. You know, the second thing is, is you have to be sort of in the game for the long haul, you know, standing, there's two things you can do. You can stand out in front of Seven Eleven and you could scratch tickets, hoping that you're going to win the lotto. Or you can go get a college degree and learn a skill and, you know, and, and, you know, and that, the metaphor being, you know, don't leave your career up to luck. You know, I mean, like do what you got to do, man, to get where you need to get. My father had once had this quote that said, sometimes the long way is the short way, mm. meaning sometimes people just want the shortcut and they just want to like find all like the little paths to quick successes. When the people that took the long route and just rolled up their sleeves and got to work, they're the ones that make it, you know, and the other ones are still trying to like, you know, find their little, you know, quick opportunities and stuff, you know, when the other people just roll up their sleeves and they get to work, you know, so don't be afraid to work. And then the last thing would be is don't be afraid to invest in yourself. You know what I mean? It's like quit being cheap, you know, quit, quit like trying to find free information and and, you know, free classes all the time. I mean, pay, pay for something, invest in yourself, man. I mean, go get a loan, like go to, you know, go to school, you know, you know, go to that recording program you've always wanted to go to, you know, because it's not like you, you, you can't learn it like on your own, but the environment of being around other musicians, other producers, other engineers, all of those connections and relationships that you're going to make, you know, you can't replace that by sitting at home, like on a YouTube video, you know? So um, don't be afraid to invest in yourself. So that's pretty much it, man. Just wanted to read those three things. Man, that was good information. I really like that quote by your father too. That was a good quote. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. He was full of great quotes, man. Um, <laughs> God bless him. That's where I got a lot of my inspiration from is from my dad, man. He's my best friend. Cool. Oh, man, that's good to hear. Man. So we'll do, we'll dedicate this to him, man. Right, he's no right. longer, he's no longer here. So we'll dedicate this to him. Dedicated to Mr. Borg. But also another thing that kind of uh, sparked up in my head when you were talking about, you know, um, learning from other people, we touched on this earlier about everybody not being an expert how do you decipher where you get the information from and who is uh credible because if you don't know the information then anybody who has any bit of information can almost come off as an expert and i've seen this before in books that i've read or youtube videos that i watched and i'm like yo that's not correct you know because I, I just went through this 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, well, first of all, I mean, you know, that's a good question. I mean, usually what I like to do is I like to base it on experience and I also like to base it on education and I also like to base it on time. So those three things are important to me. So first of all, experience. So, you know, what has the person done? So for example, I mean, I've been in the music business really ever since I was six years old. I mean, I've been um, practicing with some of the world's renowned teachers. I've been managed by some of the biggest managers in the world, you know, signed to the biggest record companies um, and, you know, worked with groups that are known essentially all over the world. I mean, um, some of the groups I worked with had, you know, platinum records and, uh, you know, we toured the world. I mean, so right there, just all of that experience is invaluable, right? That's number one. Then number two would be education. So me personally, you know, I have a graduate degree from the University of Southern California, USC in communication management. I have a degree at Berkeley College of Music. I have four different degrees in project management and marketing from UCLA, Um, and I've worked around, you know, major marketers and business people, you know, probably for 30 years. Right. So, and then let's, and then the last thing would be time. So, you know, this isn't something that I started doing three years ago. This is something I've been doing for over 30 years. So usually those, those three factors are things that are important to me. Like, again, you know, um, what's the experience of the person, you know, how long have they been doing it? And like, you know, education is important to me. I mean, so where did they go to school? Like, where did they learn this stuff? You know, so so all those three things are important to me. Those are usually the three criteria that I base it on, you know. So <clears throat> when I'm, you know, when I'm doing research and stuff, you know, what journals is the research published in? You know, how much research did they do? Is this just their point of view or are they are they using the points of view of a lot of people? Like, so for example, like everything I shared with you guys today, let me just be clear. This isn't the Bobby Borg school of business here we're talking about. You know, this is stuff that I've acquired um, from reading and, and millions and millions of things and being around millions of different people. So um, I don't lay claim to all of this information. It's not like I invented this information. I'm just, you know, reiterating it in a Bobby Borg way. <laughs> but, you know, this isn't all like my stuff, you know. So that's another factor, too. I mean, are people claiming, you know, like ownership to the information or are they like saying, hey, man, you know, here's where I got it from. You know, I went to school at Harvard or I, I researched, all, you know, all of these different scientific studies, you know. You know, so that's kind of what you need to kind of look at, you know, because, I mean, there all there are all these people just popping up on the Internet claiming to be, you know, um, you know, uh, experts. And you got to kind of be careful of that. I mean, no, no disrespect in people for trying to put themselves out there. But, you know, you have to kind of be careful of, of where you're getting your advice, you know. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you for uh, clarifying that. I appreciate it. Um, so before we get out of here, can you just let people know where they can find you at your website, your social media links, if they want to reach out to you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Bobby Borg is spelled B O R G as a George. So you could just go to www.bobbyborg.com and, you know, there you can find like some free articles and free links to different things. And, and, um, you know, you can find links to getting my books and things like that, links to my courses and stuff like that. You know, I'm on Facebook, you know, just look up, I think it's Bobby Borg Consulting, you know, I'm on YouTube, 
Um, I'm on Instagram. You know, you can you can check all the major platforms and you'll find me there as well. Okay. Do you want to name those books? I think I know about three of them or four of them. Mm-hmm. Is, is so there there's, there's, yeah, well, I, the, well, there's, a, there's, um, the musician's handbook is the first book I wrote, but that's right. no longer published. I have that. that you know, I got it from the library the other day too. Oh, oh, awesome. Uh, that's an older book though. That came out in 2003. And then there's called business basics for musicians, which is an overview of the entire business. It talks about managers. It talks about different deals. It talks about different business relationships. Then there's what's called music marketing for the DIY musician. And that exclusively talks about, you know, um, um, marketing every, everything from creating a vision all the way through the execution. Uh, then there's a book called the five star music makeover, which I wrote with four other authors, um, and that book covers everything about songwriting, performance, recording, music publishing, and promotion. So those are the the four main books that are out right now. And then if you want, you could go to Groove 3, and Groove 3 is has a streaming video version of music marketing for the DIY musician. So. Got it. Cool. Perfect. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate your time. Bobby, I learned a lot, and I know people will learn a lot as well. So I hope to talk to you again in the future as well. Yeah, thanks. Just send me the link and I'll I'll throw it around myself as well when it's done. Okay. Okay, we'll do. Have a good day. All right, man. Thank right, you. Bye bye. Bye.